Did you all miss me? Yes, I took a hiatus. Um, I got a new laptop, and there's been a lot happening, and I'm not going to cover all that today, but today I'd like to talk about um, the March Madness Tournament. I'd also like to talk about Husker basketball today. Um, and so with that, let's just dive right in. Alright, so let's talk about the NCAA tournament. As usual, it gave us a lot of <clears throat> talking points and upsets and just the beauty that is March Madness. I'm pretty sure I watched 90% of all the games. So that was really cool. I love when I'm able to do that. The games did not uh, disappoint. They were incredible. And what I want to do here as we talk about the tournament is break down kind of the surprise teams in each region um, in terms of how far they made it or a big upset they had. And so first of all, let's talk about the West region, the overall one seed Gonzaga's region. I was surprised, first of all, let's start with Memphis. Um, they seem to easily handle Boise State, and then they nearly a few plays away from beating Gonzaga. They played really well. Um, I knew they had the talent. They have the recruiting classes. Every, every year, it seems like, they get top recruits. But they never seemed to be able to put it together. I mean, they were a nine seed this year. Um, just a couple missed shots, possessions away from beating Gonzaga. Um, played really well. Another team that surprised me was Notre Dame in that region. Notre Dame easily handled Rutgers, um, at, well, not the beginning, but towards the end of the game. And then I, I predicted whoever, whichever 11 seed won that game would beat Alabama, and that happened. Um, and Notre Dame just, just demolished Alabama. Alabama, when you have that many losses... How can they be a six seed? I don't care about strength of schedule and all that. They they play their games and they're losing almost half their games. And so I, I don't understand that. But I was surprised how well Notre Dame handled Rutgers and Alabama. Um, and then Texas Tech's defense just smothered Notre Dame, kept them. That was surprising. Um, I, I did pick them, but I was actually surprised by Duke. Um, going to the Final Four because I knew they were good. I've talked about in several podcasts how talented their roster is. They had the most talented roster, I think, this year and kind of a well-put-together roster. They had, I believe, the number one recruiting class. They had some veterans that could be on the bench and, and start. That would really help the young guys, and that's been kind of Coach K's system. He's tried to have the balance of both, and you and you really have to have that because – Sometimes the young guys can't handle the adversity throughout the season. But Duke, man, all the way to Final Four, um, pulled away from Michigan State at the end there, and then just kind of handled Texas Tech the entire game. And if you put up 78 points on Texas Tech, you're going to win that game. Um, I don't think Texas Tech can keep up 
usually based on their defensive prowess. So Duke, another one. And then Arkansas as well, playing Duke in the regional final. Impressive stuff there. Um, they had to go through Gonzaga and just really handled Gonzaga most of that game. Uh, I knew they had the roster to do it, the athleticism. And Gonzaga, again, just hasn't – I think I think we talked about this my podcast with my brother – is you don't play any, like, Elite Eight teams. Any teams are going to be in the Elite Eight. I mean, besides maybe St. Mary's, um, but they got knocked out. And so you really just kind of coast and play Pepperdine and all these teams. And so when you face adversity, you don't know really what to do there. And they had a little bit against Memphis, which they handled. But Arkansas is better than Memphis. Uh, they have been all year, and it was just too much for Gonzaga. So I was surprised by Arkansas. They played pretty well against Duke, too. Um, in the end, it was not enough. Okay, the East region, Baylor being the one seed out there. Obviously, the, the biggest one is North Carolina. The thing about North Carolina is I also, in, similar to Duke, is I like their roster, uh, North Carolina was built well. I think they returned a lot of guys from last year and um, not playing terrific last year. And ended as an eight seed this year. Eight seeds don't get a ton of spotlight. And you thought, well, I went back and forth against that, that game against Baylor. But I thought, okay, even if they beat Baylor, they're not going to beat St. Mary's or UCLA in the round of 16. And they did both those things. And then I think... To their help, they played St. Peter's, who at some point you had to think that magic was just going to end at some point. Um, so North Carolina and St. Peter's, both huge surprises in that region. And they both met in the regional final. A crazy, crazy year in that, in that region. Um, as an 8 and 15 played in the regional final. Both teams played exceptionally well. St. Peter's just put it together. I mean, they... It's one thing for a 15 seed to beat a 2 seed. It's another thing for them to then beat the 7 seed and the 3 seed. And um, finally the magic ended and they got throttled by North Carolina. I mean, basically from the start, they just got owned in that game. But North Carolina, you know, going to the national championship. Um, so, you know, North Carolina put it together. And first year under Hubert Davis. A great little run for them, and, and uh, I think they'll have great years to come. I didn't know how well um, he would do as a head coach, and he struggled all year in his first year, you know, ended up as an eight seed, but went to the national title championship game, national title game. And so um, you've got to credit that, and, and, and hopefully they can carry some momentum. Um, what am I saying hopefully for? I don't care what North Carolina does. I don't. In the championship game, Kansas, North Carolina, I was I don't know who to cheer for because Kansas has beat up on Nebraska all those years um, in the Big 8 and the Big 12. In fairness, we held our own against Kansas in the 90s, but I'm not going to live in the past. But I didn't know who to cheer for in that game. I think I ended up cheering for North Carolina. It's because I hate Kansas basketball. So, all right, South region, Arizona's region. Arizona was surprising to me. Um... They really didn't blow Wright State out of the water. You know, the final score was only 17. 
and they, they worried me a little bit there because I had them in the final four. Then they played TCU, who TCU can play against the big guns. They have done it all year, uh, some upsets on Kansas and Texas Tech, and so they can easily do that. I knew they would be in that game. <clears throat> I didn't know how scary that game would be. Um, Arizona pulled it off in the end. I believe that was that the game that was overtime or double overtime. Yeah, I think so. That scared me because Arizona kind of got a lucky. <laughs> yeah, that was the game they got lucky at the end where TCU had the ball. Two guys double teamed um, TCU player. Probably a foul. Refs didn't call it, and uh, they turned the ball over instead of calling a, a foul right by the uh, half-court line. Arizona comes down and ties it up. Well, they get fouled, and then they make free throws. Houston, another surprising team, which I wrote them off very quickly. Mid-major team, didn't know how they'd fare. But when you look at their stats, they are top 20 offensive efficiency, top 20 defensive efficiency, and... Top five in rebounding percentage. Um, three traits that you look for in a title team. And so they they had that. They were there. They ended up playing Villanova. And um, the defensive prowess of Villanova proved too much. And Houston only had 44 points against Villanova. Michigan, another surprising team in there. Couldn't do enough against Villanova, but they had a nice win against Colorado State. Colorado State, underrated team. I thought I thought they'd go further. Michigan held their own there. And then beat Tennessee, who I thought Tennessee, you know, I have different brackets, but I think Tennessee could have gone Elite Eight at least. Um, and, and Michigan just smothered that. So there's a couple surprising teams there. Um, the Midwest, Kansas's region. Um, Providence surprised me. Um, I didn't know how far Providence would go. Um, Providence, the four and five seed, Iowa, also surprised me. Iowa had just, it just, you know, maybe I'm too much on how a team finishes in the season because Iowa was red hot at the end of the season, probably playing the best offensive basketball of any team in the country. And they laid a goose egg against Providence. And Providence demolished them final. Uh, they won by 28. I'm going to go against Kansas. Providence and Iowa surprised me. I thought Iowa would go farther. I thought Iowa might beat Kansas in that next round, but didn't even make it past Providence. Or, I'm sorry, didn't even make it past Richmond in the first round. The Spiders got upset immediately. Um, Providence faced Kansas, and Providence was was getting uh, owned at some points in that game, but but had some nice comebacks to stay in it. Um, obviously, a couple more surprises would be the 11 and 10 seed as they met in the round of 16, Iowa State and Miami. I knew Iowa State had it in them. I didn't know that they would beat both LSU and Wisconsin, two premier teams. Um, who LSU I thought was underrated, a six seed. They could have slipped into a five seed. I thought maybe a little higher. They're, they're a higher end on their seeding. Wisconsin had played well at the beginning of the year, but struggled towards the end, and even Nebraska beat them. Probably the best win for Nebraska in years. And then Miami goes to the Elite Eight 
to square off against Kansas, and the magic ends there, and they get demolished. Okay, so then you have a final four of Duke, Carolina, and Villanova, Kansas. <clears throat> Duke, Carolina, Coach K's last year, Hubert Davis's first year, two versus eight seed. Carolina just beat Duke at the end of the season. I mean, the story could the storyline be any better? You start to think if games are rigged, <laughs> um, just based on this matchup alone. I mean, that is everything you want if you're a TV ratings person um, for the Turner companies. And it, I didn't watch that one. Actually, I was driving back from Minnesota after I seen my sister. But uh, I heard it was a awesome game. My brother, I'm sure, is disappointed. I'm sure I, I listened to his podcast, and <laughs> he wasn't he wasn't as uh, disappointed as I thought he'd be. But um, and then Villanova, Kansas, Kansas proved too much for Villanova, and that was barely ever close in that game. Uh, again, didn't watch that one, but you know you win by sixteen, and Villanova's never really in that. So then you end up with a North Carolina Kansas game, but two blue bloods. A one versus eight seed, the lowest seed ever to win the tournament was an eight seed, Villanova in the first year of the the sixty four team tournament. Can Carolina tie history? Can they make history and and be one of the teams to do that? And man, that that was a strange game in the sense of Kansas opened immediately dominating, and I thought, okay, Carolina's run ended here. This is it. Um, again, you're an eight seed, and so you've been up and down all year, at least. Um, and this, th that was it. And then Carolina went on this crazy run. I forget what it was, but it was like 40 to uh, 10 or something like that run. And pulled ahead by double digits. We're up by double digits at halftime. And in Kansas, what they've done several times in the tournament, and at least towards the end of the year when I was watching them, is they came back. Resilient team, face adversity, and they did that and won the national title, their first title in 14 years, their fourth one ever. Can you believe that? Kansas has only won four titles ever, and one of them was 1958, which means they haven't, their three others have come sporadically throughout the years. A blue blood such as Kansas, they're always like a one, two, or three seed, seems like every year. They haven't won one in 14 years, and they finally do it. Great tournaments. Um, I live for this stuff. I live for March and April. Um, such a good tournament. Villanova surprised me as well. Um, I didn't think they had them, but their defense was really good. But then Kansas put up 81, and that was it for them. Okay, so Coach K is done. That is it, and I saw an article today. It was like they were asking Coach K if he was really done, and it's like, yes, I'm done. <laughs> what kind of bozo would just do this farewell tour and all these things and then not do it? I wonder, you know, if he if he did come back, which he's not, but if he did, it'd be like, I can't leave by losing the Carolina twice. That would be the ultimate rivalry. It's like they beat me twice, and I can't go out on that, so I'm going to do another year so I can beat them. Um, that would make the rivalry even better. It's like, yeah, I can't go out <laughs> losing my rivalry twice in a row. I didn't care about a title. I just want to beat Carolina, you know, type of thing. 
Um, Coach A coming back would just fuel the rivalry even more. <laughs> so, but he's not. So, that is the tournament. Nebraska, let's change gears. Nebraska ball. A few thoughts on them. I won't dwell on them too long. I'm not going to talk about them too much in the offseason unless there's major things. But a couple guys have, have entered the transfer portal. They're going to leave Ed Andre, um, Trevor Lakes, and Jackson Cronin. Jackson Cronin, a walk-in. But you talk about Trevor Lakes and Ed Andre, who Ed Andre, to me, only stepped up this year because Wilhelm Breidenbach was injured and they need another big man presence. And, and to his credit, he did develop. I thought he played way better at the end of the season and gave us the off-the-bench spark we needed. Played pretty well towards the end of the season. But in the end, you have Blaze Kata coming in as a four-star, and he is a major upgrade to Ed Andre. And so I think Ed Andre saw that transfer. Trevor Lakes, you know, he's, he's entering his fifth year. So... He wasn't going to play. He didn't play much this year at Nebraska, and he wasn't going to play much next year with the recruiting class we have coming in, and he knew that. So I think that's why he transferred. Um, and so you have um, you have some nice recruits coming in. Um, Denham Dawson is coming in, a nice a nice guard there. Uh, you have Sam Greasel, who is transferring from North Dakota State to Nebraska. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, that will fill our point guard spot, and I'm excited about that because now you have um, Lonzo Verge. If he stays, who knows about the roster turnover. Um, but if he's here next year, he doesn't have to play point guard at the time and lead the offense. But he, I think he learned how to do it to some extent. Um, at the beginning of the year, this year, it was like he doesn't know how to do it. Um, he got better. He's not a great point guard still, but you still have him there to do that. And so Sam Griesel, you expect to start um, next year. And that, you know, you, you look at the roster, you look at the starting five coming back next year. Derek Walker has said he is coming back, so we don't have to worry about him anymore. Um, you think about Trey McGowan's, I'm sorry, I should mention also Bryce McGowan's is going to the NBA draft. Which, I mean, that wasn't like news to anybody. I was begging that he would stay, but I think he just wanted one year to play with his brother. But it leads the question to Trey McGowan's: What is he going to do? He'll be a senior next year. Does he want to play one more year at Nebraska? If he did, that would be so, so helpful for us. That veteran leadership, the spark he gives on offense and defense and how he creates. Um, but you think of the starting lineup, you think Sam Greasel, at point guard, that one spot, you have Alonzo Verge, you have Trey McGowan's, and Lat Mayen, you haven't heard a lot about, but he could he could be that four. Um, and then you have Derek Walker. And so there's several guys there. There's four that would come back. Four star if four starters came back, that would be the most um Fred Hoiberg will return. So we need these guys to come back. I, I think that's the biggest thing for Hoiberg. Uh, you could also see Lat Mayen and Blaze Kata kind of switching starting positions. I could see Blaze Kata battling for that maybe later in the year as he gets settled and comfortable. Um, so, yeah, 
I'm excited about Blaze Kata coming in, Denim Dawson coming in. Another one I'm really excited, the two I'm probably most excited for are Blaze Kata and Ramel Lloyd Jr., a highly acclaimed guy. I think he's going to come in, and, and we'll have a nice bench. Um, we'll have nice guys on the bench. You know, Wilhelm Breinbach's going to come back. Be He's going to be ready for the next season in November of this year. Um, he'll be ready for that. So that will be nice. Um, and so then you have Breinbach and Kata coming off as the backup big men. That's going to be helpful. You have Denim Dawson, Ramel Lloyd coming off the bench if all stays, if all holds. Um, and so you have, you know, there's nine guys right there um, that are going to be really helpful. Um, I think Kobe Webster can come back for another year, and he might. I just don't know how much he's going to play. I know he kind of likes just being in this role and playing for Nebraska. He's played two years already for us. That would be really nice if he would come back and just be kind of a veteran leadership type guy, and he gives a nice spark off the bench. Um, and so I think he has another year, so he could come back. That would be cool. Um, and we are, it seems like we are hitting the transfer portal too as well. Um, I've seen several guys we go after as they enter the transfer portal, and I'm I'm a little interested because I think we're right at the scholarship limit. I think we have maybe one more. We need to get off scholarship. But I, I'm just interested. Does that tell you that we're about to lose a couple more guys? Um, is there news we don't know? So I'm a little intrigued by that. I haven't seen anything from people that would say that we are going to lose more guys. In fact, Fred Hoiberg came out and said, you're going to see a lot of the same guys in Nebraska jerseys next year. And so he's expecting a lot of the guys to stay, which is nice. Um, and again, I think that's what this program needs. I think they need to stick around. This is what you're seeing. And I don't know if it's next year. If Trey McGowan's leaves, it's not next year, I think. But if Trey McGowan's is here, I think next year we have a real shot to be in the NCAA tournament. I, I do. I, I said it before this year. I knew it wouldn't be this year, and clearly it wasn't. Um, but I thought two years you know, before the season, two two seasons, and we could be postseason play. I do believe that. I think if all these guys stick around, I mean, the core of our team is still here. So if you have them stick around, they know Hoiberg's system. They really played better at the end of the season, and this what this is what happened has happened the last two seasons. We have played well at the end of the season, but it's far too late. I mean, we got last two seasons we've had. Two two-game win streaks. And so you need these guys to stick around. You need these guys to stick around. And and I think they will. And even if if Fred Hoiberg, the only thing he ever does is this year or next year, go to the NCAA tournament and win a game. That's enough for me. <laughs> that is the bottom of the barrel. That's the mindset of a Nebraska ball fan. Um, I'll tell you what, that Wisconsin win is one of the happiest moments I've been as a Nebraska ball fan. One of the happiest moments. And that's coming off a horrible season where I wanted to scream on some podcasts 
that Wisconsin win was awesome. And then after, I jumped on the Twitter feed, Twitter spaces, which I'd never heard of until that moment. Um, and Jack Mitchell, one of the local guys, was doing a Twitter space. And just, he was excited, and he would have people talk, and they were all excited for the win. It just was nice. It just was nice to have a top 10 win on the road that meant nothing for the, for our season, um, but just really lifted us after two really bad seasons. <laughs> and it capped a three-game win streak at the end of the season, two of which were road games. Oh, I'm sorry. I think they were all... Th- yeah, all three were road games. One of the best stretches we've had in a long, long time. And so you see, at the end of the season, we start playing well because there's a new team, and they start figuring out by the end of the season. I can't say this enough. We've got to have guys stick around. And I don't know how you do that, and maybe it's this offseason where guys stick around. But that would be awesome. I want to talk a little bit about also... This has been on my mind. You have Fred Hoiberg right now. You also have, before him, his predecessor in Tim Miles. And I have compiled over the last couple weeks an Excel spreadsheet of every season. And I actually haven't done the last season for Tim Miles. But regardless of that, the statistics, statistically speaking, it is alarming how different these two coaches were. And I'll say this, for whatever it's worth now, I was never, I was not a fan of firing Tim Miles. When it happened, I was like, maybe we can do better. I kind of, I kind of started getting on that train. Well, maybe it's good we fire Tim Miles because so we can... Win an NCAA tournament game. And what we've had in the first three seasons for Fred Hoiberg is not only bad, but it's it's awful. And particularly the defense. Let's I'm gonna throw a couple statistics your way, reading directly from my Excel spreadsheet. That I put so much work in. And I can share with you all, whoever wants it. Points per game allowed, so defensively, Hoiberg's first year. 330th. Reminder, there's 350 teams. So there were 20 that were behind us. That's it. We gave up 78 points per game that year. And we only had 69.8 Nearly nine points per game difference getting beat. Or every game, we were behind by nine points. His second year, it got better. 268th out of 350. Only allowed 74.2 points per game that year. And we went up by 0.2 points per game at 70 points per game. So now we're only down to about 4.2 behind in each game. This season, we scored more points in 73.3. That ranked 115th. That's pretty good. And his, his easily his best in terms of national ranking. His defense, however, this past season, 
78.5 points per game allowed. 78.5, his worst of his three years, and that ranked 339th out of 350 Division I teams. There were 11 teams behind us, worse in giving up points. That's it. 11 teams. Not only that, but we allowed a 34.7% field goal percentage on three-pointers. That's ranked 247th, allowing teams to shoot 44.5% from the field. That ranks 248th, his worst defensive team in his three years. Three years in, and he has his worst defensive team. Not only that, but he's getting out-rebounded. He has a minus 7 rebound margin. Minus 7. That ranks 344th out of 350. Minus 7. We are getting absolutely pummeled on the boards all year. And if you were watching any games, you know that it felt that way too. By the eye test and by the statistics, it looked like we were getting demolished on the boards. His first year, he gave uh, his rebound margin was negative 9.6. That was 348th out of 350. Two teams were worse at rebounding than us in the nation. Two teams. And you say, well, Trevor, it's the Big Ten. You got big bodies in there. They're going to be good at rebounding. Um, there's some good three-point shooters. Um, teams that can score in the paint. I mean, it's tough to guard the paint. It's tough to get a rebound. Isn't that true, Trevor? Well, let's look at Tim Miles. Tim Miles. Let's look, first of all, at a couple of years he had. His second year, 2013 and 2014, the year where he got to the NCAA tournament. And demolished by Baylor. His defensive stats. Get this. Points per game allowed. 65.2. In his second year. 65.2. That is 13 points less than what Fred Hoiberg had this past year. And that ranked for Tim Miles 53rd in the country. 53 53rd in the country in allowing points. His field goal percentage that he allowed, 42. That ranked in the top 192nd in the nation. Three-point field goal percentage allowed, 31.5%, which was 44th. That's the top 50 people. He Nobody could shoot threes on us that year. We were top 50 in the nation. Not only that, but his first year, we allowed 63.5 points per game. That's nearly two points less. Oh, wait, that's not right. I need to edit that. Don't listen to that. But nonetheless, we're in the top 100 of points allowed in the nation. So in his first four years, here's how his points per game allowed goes. 90th in the nation. 
53rd in the nation, 84th and 100th. Top in his first four years, he is top 100 in points per game allowed. Then you scoot down to his 2017 and 2018 team, which I would argue is his best defense, at least statistically. It was his best team, I think, um, partly because the 2018-2019 team had a very similar roster to the 2017-2018. But so many guys got hurt. Um, I think it ultimately cost Hoiberg's job because they ended up not doing well. However, the 2017-2018 team, 2018-2019 team, both years, they went to the NIT. And I will take this to my grave. The 2017-2018 Nebraska ball team was absolutely robbed of a national tournament bid, an NCAA tournament bid. They were robbed. The statistics show it. They were snubbed. You can tell me all day long that the Big Ten was down that year. You can you can tell me that all year long. But when you go 13-7 and seven in the Big Ten, you should be in the NCAA tournament. I don't care what you say. In terms of all the metrics, because people say, well, eye test doesn't always work. Okay. Okay. No team up to that point in the history of a major conference that was ranked in the top 50 of the NET ranking had missed the NCAA tournament. Nebraska was the first. They were ranked 34th in the NET. Give me a break. Okay, with that aside, our defense that year gave up 68 Point six points per game. That ranked 76th in the country. Field goal percentage allowed was 42.3. That was 74th in the country. And three-point field goal percentage, watch this, 32.2, which was 32nd in the country. 32nd. If you try, and my point in all this, if you try to tell me that it is really hard to, to stop teams in the Big Ten, if it is really hard to rebound in the Big Ten, how come Tim Miles with undersized teams could do it? How come that's the case? And I point that out because Fred Hoiberg's defense has been just abysmal. I mean, statistically, it's been horrible. And rebounding has been abysmal. Some of the worst in Nebraska ball history. And I say all that because not only is his, his defense bad, but... Only once, let me see here, only once <laughs> uh, twice, twice. 
Hold on here. I'm doing this on the spot. Nope, I'm way wrong. I was looking at the wrong graphics. I'll say this. Tim Miles twice beat out Fred Hoiberg's points per game. He has two teams that beat out th uh, two of, of Fred Hoiberg's teams. Hopefully that makes sense. I feel like I just stumbled through that. That, that should be alarming because not only is Fred Hoiberg's defense abysmal, but his offense is underachieving. Now, there was some growth this year. They, they put up 73.3 points per game, which is the best since before Tim Miles was here. And that man was Doc Sadler, who just left the roster. But I probably guarantee that Doc Sadler did not have teams scoring much over 70 points per game <laughs> as he was very defensively minded, brought on t uh, Fred Hoiberg's staff as a defensive-minded coach to implement that with Hoiberg's system. So, what to make of all this? Well, again, we had the worst defense under Tim Miles, I'm sorry, Fred Hoiberg this past year. But also, we had t uh, Fred Hoiberg's best offense this year. What to make of this? It all comes back to get keep guys on the team so you don't have to overturn and implement new things. Now, we're going to have a new kind of defensive-minded assistant coach. And so we're going to have to learn that. But if we keep the roster intact, that's going to be helpful. The issues we have to fix are we cannot allow 78 points per game. That has to get down to, I would, I would hope in this year or next year, be down to 73. We should not be given, although our pace is high. So under, how about under 75? 75 points per game because of how fast-paced he is. And I would like to score more than we're giving... I mean, anybody wants that. I would hope we score more than we're giving up. And the offense has to get better. It has to get more efficient. A lot of our stats, I think, were lower in the top 150 ranking in the nation because of how we played maybe our last 10 games of the season. Those 10 games were really good. Three of them were, were wins compared to the first 20 games, right? So that has to be a consistent thing all year long. If we could do 73 or, well, I mean, we did more at the end of the year, but if we could do up to 75 for the whole year, that would be... A very good sign of growth. The other thing we have to correct, have to, and Blaze Cata will help with this, but I think also Derek Walker and Latmain, if they both come back, will be a huge help, is the rebounding. Rebound has to get better. Has to. Teams will miss shots and have second chances. You cannot give up second chances. You have to, if they miss, punish them for missing their shots. So rebounds, and I think the offense needs to take a step forward this year. If you get beat up on the boards like we did this past year, and really 
just about every year under under Fred Hoiberg. What what's going to change if if not in four years if we still get pummeled on the boards? How is this ever going to change? How is this ever going to change? And why would you want to get absolutely dominated on the glass and pummeled on defense? You don't want to do that with a coach. And I'm not saying this because I'm I'm off of Tim My- or Fred Hoiberg. Gosh, I keep changing their names up. But with the record he's had, with his the statistics he has, with the eye test that we all see and feel in our hearts as Nebraska ball fans, there has to be a high level of scrutiny this year. I know you don't want to put a ton of pressure on coaches, but you have to this year. You have to. He has to get a lot more right this year. There has to be signs, more signs of growth. Otherwise, to me, maybe I'm mean. Maybe I don't know how it works to be an athletic director. I don't, but I know how it feels to be a fan. But he probably should be fired after this year. In terms of win total, in terms of statistics, in terms of how it feels to be a fan watching him. There has to be growth in all those areas. Otherwise, let's find another coach. Let's find another coach. The mindset can't be, well, who are we going to get? Who else is out there? No, you can't do that. And people will say, well, the grass is always greener. Yeah, the grass is always greener. We're not even getting 10 wins. We're barely getting 10 wins every year. We're going 10 and 21 like every year or, or less wins. Like, come on. How can that be good? How can you want that? I've been in Nebraska ball since mid-2000s when I was a young lad. And I am tired of seeing this. There has to be accountability. There has to be an ownership. Because you fired Tim Miles with Fred Hoiberg in mind, thinking he would be better. And it has not been better. Tim Miles went to... He should have been at two NCAA tournaments, but he was at one NCAA tournament bid and two NIT bids in which he has in the postseason win in the NIT. No one else is doing that. Even Doc Sadler was going to the NIT. He went a couple of years. Fred Hoiberg has had no postseason play. And I'm, I'm fed up. I really am. I'm tired of seeing this. I'm a loyal fan, and I want to see better. I want to see better. And I realized that Bill Moose kind of screwed us over before he was done as an AD. He put Fred Hoiberg's and Scott Frost's, really, um, buyout contract super high. And so they reduced that for Fred Hoiberg. He cut Doc Sadler because, okay, he's clearly not working as a defensive-minded guy with with Fred Hoiberg because the stats show he's been terrible. So we brought in another guy, South Alabama assistant. Let's see how that goes. And we carry on. But I don't want to live in this numb, horrible state of Nebraska ball. I don't want to. I will cheer for Nebraska because I feel them in my bones for every win and every loss. But we need better. 
and we have the resources to do it. We're the only Power 5 team to not win an NCAA tournament game. It's truly remarkable. Let's get it done. All right. With that, I'm going to close today. Next time, um, we're going to talk about the Raiders. I have not talked about them in a while. I've been too focused on Nebraska ball. And there's a lot to talk about there. Obviously, you're like, why isn't he talking about Devontae Adams? I'll talk about that next time. How I feel we can do and actually the state of the AFC West because it is nuts in there. We'll talk about all things Raiders and NFL next week on the podcast. Thanks for listening.